Hey guys, Matt here. The pod's going to start in a sec. I just needed to take a quick second to amend a mistake I make towards the end of the pod that's rather inexcusable, which is uh, I take a quick moment during the Big Up segment to uh, give some attention to the brutal murder of Ahmad Arbery, but accidentally mispronounce his name twice while declaring that everyone needs to remember his name, and that's about as fucked up as it gets. And no one, especially him right now, deserves that. So I just needed to take a quick moment to acknowledge that my illiteracy shouldn't impact the memory of someone who was taken for no good reason. And uh, well, with that, let's go on to uh, some more positive things. Uh, enjoy the pod. That's not good. I'm disappointed in myself. Or odd, odd. You're frozen as hell. I mean, surely. Sure. I don't love Carrick. I just, I like listening to him talk. Mine didn't come until this morning, but I want to give big ups to, I've already forgotten his name. Adenau, that's not a word. So, uh, the bitch ho. This guy, Matt, because his name is Matt. What the hell is going on? So, uh, welcome back to the pod. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Maven. If you have anything great... Specifically, an elite and historic sports magazine, and you want it disintegrated into a nearly unrecognizable mess by a group of money-hungry goons on a scorched-earth tour, call Maven. If you are looking for many highly regarded employees to be horribly mistreated on the way out as the company evaporates in front of your eyes, Maven is the team you are looking for. Maven, the first name in corporate takeover. How's it going, everyone? Matt Hornick, Connor Weingarten, as always, on our third episode of So, uh... And, uh... We're back, Connor. How are you? Pretty good. Episodes five and six of the MJ Doc. We're gonna have to start coming up. Oh, with we're getting right into it. No, 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 no small, no small talk. We can talk small. I'm feel. I'm not feeling small. Actually, I had five pieces of pizza for dinner tonight, overcompensating for the drink that I had for breakfast and lunch. Has that ever happened to you? Oh yeah. I mean, uh, I think I tweeted this sometime, like about three, four weeks ago. I didn't eat. I tweeted first calories of the day. Check at like six fifty p.m. Yeah, it's one of those for me. I've been. It's been up and up and down past hour and a half too. Because we were gauging when we were going to record this, and then I was really full from dinner. I was a little tired. I was like, maybe like I'd be better if I get a little buzz during this podcast. So I took out a Smirnoff ice because that's what you do. I had like there's like there's like Miller Light. Coors Light and Smirnoff Ice in my fridge. Who's and, who's uh, buying the Smirnoff Ice with the intention of drinking it? My mom likes it. Yeah, but I like it too. Like whatever. Yeah. No, I obviously they it taste good. good. So I started drinking one, and then I got about halfway home, and then I took a U-turn and poured it out in the sink. <laughs> and then I uh, <laughs> you didn't want then it. I filled up my canteen with water, and uh, here we are. I was so I wasn't feeling great about this episode, and I think it's I think we're turned around here. By the fact that I didn't finish that ice. <laughs> you didn't want to leave the wounded soldier? No, nah, I just poured it out. I was going to offer it to one of my siblings or something, but then I would have to swallow the pride of not having finished a drink, a fake drink. <laughs> a half yeah. ice. Well, uh, the last dance was good this week, I thought, in all-time awkward transitions. Yeah, like I was saying, we're going to have to come up with real content soon because this is 5-6. we got two more weeks. And listen to your heart ends at the same time. Yeah, you know what? It times out well. We'll see. What I, I agree. I 
I enjoyed this episode. And just so you listeners know, we have ideas. There are ideas brewing. They're coming. Are they good? Eh, we'll find out. My thing on the dock is, um, what is my thing on the dock? I don't know. I, th- I thought this was pretty good. Like, I had, I had a couple big takeaways. I think you, I don't know, you kind of just get a feel of who Michael Jordan is a little bit more. And he kind of keeps telling us who he is. And we're, we we just have more clarity that, yeah, that's who he is. Like, the Republicans buy sneakers thing comes up in this episode. And he's like, yeah, I did say it. Because there was actually a debate about whether he, he said this. Sam Smith put it in one of these books. Not Sam, wait, Sam Smith? Is that the guy's name? Yeah, it is. Okay, because I'm also, I have a Sam Smith song stuck in my head. But Sam Smith wrote these books about Michael Jordan where there's a quote about him saying Republicans buy sneakers. He was said, it, said it jokingly to someone on the bus. You learn more about who he is in these quotes. He says, yeah, like that's just who I was at 27. I was really focused on my game, on basketball. Now he's focused on his brand and money. He's not an outspoken political activist. And we confirmed a lot of that in this episode, I think. And you had another thing. I'm not, well, no, I was going to make a joke, but that's fine. Make a joke. Uh, no, I lost the moment. I feel like it'll land better now. <laughs> Certainly won't, because my whole point of it was trying to talk over you, and you didn't let me. Oh, shit. Sorry. No, good for you. Hold your ground. Going off of the whole Sam Smith books, uh, Will Purdue just immediately threw blame at Horace Grant for being the snitch on that team, and then Horace Grant denied it. Do we think it's Will Purdue? I do. Ooh, I hadn't thought about the Will Purdue part of it. Well, because Honestly. no one really throws blame. Everyone's just sort of like, we don't know. It was someone was was giving away secrets, and then Will Purdue's like, yeah, it was Horace, and then Horace Grant's like, no, it wasn't. My guess is like Purdue is. There was a lot of talk that like Horace Grant was really close with the author of the book. Who I don't even want to say Sam Smith because now I'm second guessing myself. But he's saying that they were really close, and like Grant confirmed that. So the thinking maybe by maybe Purdue saw them talking all the time and then took the next step to say he was the guy. That's not that far fetched. It's not. I'm going to say more than likely it was like 25 different people because you don't write a whole book with one source. You, not possible. But you wouldn't you wouldn't get through a journalism ethics class on that. You wouldn't get through journalism ethics. You wouldn't get through 30 pages of writing Yeah, with one source. So I don't know. I, I, I tend to believe Horace Grant. That I bet you he gave – I'm sure he gave him some stuff. I'm sure a lot of them did and didn't even know it. Everybody on that roster had to have incriminated themselves at one point or another. Incriminate's the right. wrong word, but you know what I mean. Sure. Got quoted saying something or even on background. They said shit that they were like, oh, crap, I didn't know that would be in a book. And when you're a beat reporter who spends all that time in locker rooms, you just – you are hearing so much stuff. You see all this just whatever goes on in there what, during the time you have access. Like you can see – you can see or hear literally anything. And something tells me all these players weren't going back and reading page by page this whole book and these all these books that he was writing. I'd say that's more than likely. They're, they're, having, they're having their agents take a paragraph and tell them, hey, look what, look what they said you did. What was the – Beginning of this conversation? You were talking about uh, Jordan the Republican. Or not Jordan the Republican, Jordan the non-activist and Republicans buying sneakers. Right, yeah, that's one of the things that really jumped out to me about this. But yeah, Horace Grant, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't blame him for those books. There was, there was some meat on the bone there. Sure. I guess my thing with Jordan and his political mindset is 
it's one thing if you don't care. Like, if that's not what interests you, if you're, I, I think he was afraid of losing money. I do. Yeah, for me, I think it's like both. I think what I tried to say inarticulately at the beginning of this is that he has showed us over and over again that he was not interested in this stuff. And I, like, take him at his word for that when he continues to show us that that's what he wants to do. Yeah, I I think that, I mean, while, as we're going to get into with Ken Burns' comments on the series, like, I, it's not as in-depth in terms of some of the personality stuff about Jordan that I would like necessarily. But I think just naturally, because you spent so much time with him, we get so much of him that his natural personality is just going to come off and we're going to get enough of what he is. And yeah, it's clear that he is not like the nicest person. Like he, but that's like a known thing. And I don't like, I've, I've been very good at just absorbing that because he, I'm, I'm not really surprised by anything he does. Cause all he was ever motivated by was winning and just being the best. Right. And it's also just that classic unfair thing where a black person with success and money has to be looked on to stand up for all these issues. And if they don't, there's some kind of fraud or coward or, don't acknowledge their community properly. Like it's, it's not an easy position to be in for him. But I don't, I don't honestly think he cares that much. I think he has a quote somewhere in the documentary from this episode where he's like, "Yeah, like if I, if if you're looking for that kind of person, then maybe I'm not the person you should follow, and that's fine." And that's, I, I think that's where he comes down. I agree, and that's I respect that because it's incredibly honest, and it's. And I think it's I think it's just true to who he is because you see yeah. like when he when he's a kid, how competitive he is, and then when he's in the prime of his career he's focused on hoops when he's not playing hoops he's trying to clown people in games of quarters and cards and golf and i don't know he, he just wants to win stuff whatever and it is. That, there, there was was it a uh gubernatorial election in north carolina or senator it was a senate yeah the guy's name was harvey gant and he was running against jesse helm or i have it written down here i know it was helms and helms was just like an open racist had dog whistled at it the first um, black congresswoman, like in an elevator in 1994. He like whistled Dixie or some kind of phrase like that. Um, That was just completely racist. He was openly racist. I think he said the Civil Rights Act of whatever year this, some Civil Rights Act. 64? 64 sounds right. Yeah, he said it was like the worst thing put into law ever. So this is a terrible guy. But Jordan, Jordan didn't endorse him. What he did is he made a campaign contribution to the other guy, but he yeah. didn't. He didn't endorse him. And I actually read an article the other day where Gant, the guy who ran for the seat, he's quoted as saying, "I think he lost by six points." And he was like, "Yeah, Jordan, he, he wasn't mad. He didn't hold, hold a grudge because he figured Jordan makes that endorsement. And I don't necessarily win anyway." In in the same kind of way where like LeBron James gets so much praise for his activism and how forthright he is. Like you think about that ESPYS moment with him and Melo and Wade um, and Chris Paul. And LeBron also, like, campaigned for Hillary Clinton, but she also lost Ohio to Trump. So, like, it's okay to, to do these things and have these stances, but the idea that, like, just because Michael Jordan makes some endorsement that that's going to, like, seismically change people's minds, I don't really buy that. So, at the end, I don't think I don't think his impact is that impactful. I don't think it's that strong. There's something to be said for, like, a leader of, you know, having a bunch of kids seeing their hero stand up for something, but I don't think he has to be Ali. I agree. You know, obviously you don't have to be Ali. Like that's Ali took it to places that no one else, re, like no one else besides Colin Kaepernick has. Sure. But I guess my only thing, the only gripe left with what Jordan did there, I mean, I guess is when the disparity between the two candidates is as wide as it was in that circumstance. 
I feel like saying, hey, I support the non-racist one isn't, like, that difficult. Like, I feel like that's a pretty basic, like, just entry-level, like, political move. Yeah, you're right. This guy's a racist. That guy's not a racist. I like the not racist guy. No, you're right. Yeah, he he doesn't have to go on six campaign stops. He could just hop on an interview and say, I like that guy. Because he's not racist. Yeah. Doesn't does even have to say that. But I guess I guess my point is, like, I don't I don't think at whatever year that was. So was it, I think it was 90 or... 90 or 92. So he's 25 to 30 years old, somewhere in that range. I don't think... I don't think he's making that choice because of business. I think he's making that choice because he's just, like, frankly doesn't care and is concerned with basketball. And if you want to say that's a problem and he's a bad guy, then that's completely fair. I think people can can look at him however they want. I think I continue to say like it's it's authentic to who he was and we can continue to discover how skilled he was at basketball and if you were to say it's a flaw that he didn't stand up for Harvey Gantt, perhaps it is, then I think that's fine. The last thing is I guess when you're like someone like Michael Jordan or any young athlete in a lot of circumstances, like LeBron's been taken on this activist role later in his career, but I don't think when he was at that same age that Jordan was at when this was going on that he was that politically involved. Because I can say as someone who – I mean I'm not a professional athlete or famous in any way obviously. But as I didn't grow up with any particular interest in politics and I sort of deflected it because I was overwhelmed by it I guess. I don't even know why exactly but I never wanted to consume politics until Donald Trump got elected. And then like a little bit after that I really like in the past couple of years as I've matured and grown up like started to understand and like consume politics more. For you it's very different because you grew up around it. Yeah. I th- but I think it's fair – I think it is a little unfair to expect everyone to be so invested in it. Oh, absolutely. Because I wasn't I, – I've only been – I've only been invested in it for two years. So I was saying like there's the saying that like the age you become famous at is the age you stay at forever. So like think about it. Like Jordan gets drafted at 20, blows up. By the time it's like 1992, he's 27, 28. He's uh, super famous by 92 though. We got to be yeah, clear about that. Yeah, un- unbelievably famous. But – is he, like, at that level of maturity yet where it's, like, he's still, like, out there, like, mostly, like, he's very competitive, obviously, but he's, like, there's, like, a, there's, like, I feel like uh, post-baseball Jordan has, like, a seriousness that pre-baseball Jordan did not have in the slightest. Like, the sort of just, like, sort of, like, weathered, wily, vet, grown man sort of mentality. Yeah. And so I feel like if this had arisen during, like, the 96 98 to 98 run, it maybe that could have gone down differently. Because he was a little bit older, more mature. I don't know. See, I, I just don't think I don't think he changes in that way. Like, like he was super famous when this happened, and I, that's part of the the counter argument is like you're you get to this platform at a certain point, you're responsible to like the argument is that he's responsible to speak for, like, the Muhammad Ali's and Jim Brown's and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's that were before him, even though it, it's, like, it's not entirely related. Like, there isn't some huge Olympic Tommy Lee, like, movement. Tommy Smith, rather. Um, I don't know. I think I think that counter is always the same. Like, if you feel like someone's that rich and famous and is black and has that platform, that, that that's their duty to do it, like, that's a, a lot of people think that that is the case. Then then you you see where they land on that. But I don't know. I'm, I, I'm not going to knock the guy for, you know, being himself. And it's not necessarily a good thing. Like, I'm not saying I'd, I'd, I'm like, I export it, like, I'm happy about it. But I think that's just who he is. That's fine. It's fine. Like, I, again. I don't have, yeah, we don't have, I don't have another conclusion to draw from it. No, it's, no one's making you do anything. He didn't do anything wrong. He just didn't do anything right. Sure. 
I mean, you could argue that that not condemning a racist is wrong, obviously. I might on a different day where I'm feeling a little spicier. Sure. It's just whether you feel whether you feel like someone reaching that platform means they have a responsibility to represent and make change for an entire group of people. Like that's why when Barack Obama, who's no longer just former Chicago resident in episode six, what he's upgraded to um what is he again, the former president of the United States? They call him President Barack Obama. But he is literally the perfect guy to speak on this because he gets to a point in his presidency where there's just racial injustice rampant. Like Michael Brown is killed in Ferguson in 2014, and that's kind of a turning point for Obama where he comes out publicly and he's speaking. Like black people felt like he really took the side of the police, which he he kind of did publicly. Like he, he was telling people to – Stop rioting in the streets. Like, he was kind of hedging, like, saying he understood what they were saying, but also taking the side of the police that you have to protect law enforcement. And this is, like, a little similar to Jordan, where Obama, like, kind of told you who he was. Like, in 04, his big keynote speech is, there's no black America, there's no white America, there's no Latino America, there's the United States of America. Like, that's his speech that puts him on the map. So then, when he's getting up there, and he's like, shit, like, black people are being murdered by the cops but I need to win in some of these swing states, and I don't want to be seen as the guy who's just kowtowing to every black issue. But then he he kind of evolves to the point where, like, in 2015, there's that Charleston shooting in the church, which is not a, not a police violence but a huge racial violence issue. And then he's at the point, I think, at that point where he's, he's toward the end of his presidency, and, and he's on CNN, all these cable networks, at this big um, funeral, and he's just, like, singing soul music and he's like okay with that like that's something that he gets shit on on fox news because he's just being oh he's being the black president the president of black america and that's i don't think michael jordan was thinking that philosophically about these things but that's why like when barack obama comes on the screen to talk about these things i thought that was amazing and and like a perfect representative because when you get to that highest level and he mentions this in one of his three quotes it's barack obama your oprah winfrey your lebron james People have an expectation of you and how you go about that can define a chunk of your legacy. So the people that are anti-MJ on this stuff, they will always remember the way he handled these political issues. Absolutely. And not that I want to make this a political podcast basically ever, but let us I feel like people try to remember Barack Obama because he was a black, the first black president as a sort of bastion of like liberal policy. But he's like very centrist. Like he's just he's like he's very not. Much. Yeah. So like so like him, like obviously like. Aside from not necessarily like openly condemning the racial injustice, like I'm, I, it's not like particularly surprising to me, and I don't think it should be surprising to many people that that's the road he took because he's a politician, he's president of the United States, and again, I don't, I don't agree with the move. Like I think you have to condemn that the moment it happens. Right, and I, I do, but I'm like I said, like I think it's similar to MJ continuing to tell us who he was. Obama's breakout speech is him saying that he can transcend race. It's him saying there's not a white America, there's not a black America, there's the states. Yes. So so that's that's his political philosophy. And I think people figured when a young black people were being murdered that something different would happen. But I don't know. He was a great voice to put to that MJ issue because in that way it's like the most famous prominent black person with the most, uh, I don't know, cultural weight. And they're they're stuck with having to make a decision, and then their whole legacy can be defined by it. So that that was, I think, my biggest takeaway. Do you want to transition into something lighter? 
Absolutely. Know, there's a lot of shoe stuff that came up in this as well. MJ's whole path to Nike. Uh, God, I cannot overstate how much I enjoyed it. I cannot. I mean, I, I loved that, like, he wanted to go to Adidas. He didn't want... He didn't want Nike because Nike wasn't like a company the way it was. Like it was, they were they were a track company. And I love that Michael Jordan's mom is the one who made him. What are you looking at? A uh, text message on my phone sideways. <laughs> <laughs> Did I distract you that much? Well, you were, you were just like I'm looking at you as I'm talking, and you just go eh, turn your head sideways. That's like what my dog does sometimes if you whistle, slam his head a little bit. Sorry, I uh, cut you off with my. Eyes there. Don't worry about it. I and, and I love that. Like no matter like you're Michael Jordan, and like I mean I guess he wasn't Michael Jordan yet in the way that like he was by the time it, like it was the '90s because he was still a rookie. But like I love that like you can be in that situation and like your mom can still just be like, no, you're going to that business meeting with the sneaker company, Michael. Mother's Day's coming up. Yeah, I mean moms have a certain power over people. That's a whole podcast episode. <laughs> moms have a certain power over people. Sometimes I think I'm philosophical, and then sometimes I'm like Jesus. Jesus, how did I pass the third grade? Go ahead, choose, do your thing here. I mean, it was it was just so cool to me. I mean, I wish that obviously this isn't the direction that they needed that they wanted the documentary to go. But I would have loved the idea if they're bringing in like Tinker Hatfield, who's the designer behind all of the Jordan models and basically every good shoe that Nike has done since the eighties. I would have loved if they had like had had him on and like talked more about the actual designing of the shoes, but that's not what the documentary is about. Did you know much of the backstory of how he got to Nike before this? Like, like the signing of the contract? Yeah, well, no, kind of all I of it. Not. And like the shoe landscape at that time is so interesting to me. And I enjoyed- I'm, I'm very fascinated by the shoe landscape at that time because how – oh, first of all, that Converse commercial where like Magic and Larry Bird and Bernard yeah. King are rapping, hysterical. Fantastic. Yeah, that's great. Like I love that stuff. And then the MJ, once he does get to Nike, like the MJ Spike Lee ads, like we could do a oh, whole yeah. podcast on sneaker commercials back then. But just the True. idea that that Converse – was a hoops powerhouse and they had magic and Larry and all these guys to the point where like Jordan's agent or it's not even his agent at the time. David Falk, I think was trying, maybe it was his agent, but he was trying to hook him up with a shoe contract and Converse thought like MJ wasn't a big enough star for their line. And then he, his actual preference was Adidas. Like this stuff um, was enlightening to me and it's new stuff that I didn't know. And yeah, I didn't know that he wanted to go to Adidas and I didn't, And I guess because, like, Nike's been the brand as long as we're alive, almost entirely thanks to Michael Jordan. Sure. Because that he's been, he, they've been the brand, like, I don't forget, like, I always forget how young of a company they actually are. Like, Phil Knight started Nike in the 70s. I didn't even realize, like, Adidas existed in, like, in like 1989. Like, I didn't even know. Or 86, whatever year it was. They weren't even, like, they, they, their American presence wasn't as big. Are they a French company? I believe they're German. I could be yeah. wrong about that. I know their offices are in Germany. Hmm, I don't know. But you were saying about moms. like So MJ's mom makes him go take this Nike meeting, right, when he didn't even want to. Yeah, he was. He had no interest. Zero. And they were a track company. And the, the idea was what? They had the Air technology, and that was like they had an attract shoe, but then they built it, and then they called it Air Jordan. They made it a basketball shoe? Yeah. Uh, and it was, again, this is – Quick sneaker side note. The Air technology is the same thing that you see on all the Air Max shoes that makes them so cool. It's the bubble. And that's all that's been in Nike shoes longer than they were showing it. That was just another Tinker Hatfield idea to be like, hey, let's show off the inside of the shoe. And then everyone's like, wow, that's cool, Air Max. And now it's the base of Nike. 
Jeez. Did you have you said you were gonna rank? Did you like list out the shoes you like the best? I did. I did. Uh, so. Uh, for many sneaker people around the world, the first 14 Jordans are the Jordans that truly matter because they're the ones that he played in, like, by the end of The Last Dance. Like, the last the last dance season is the year the Jordan 14 comes out. And it's also when the designs start taking a bit of a serious downturn. So, yeah, I wanted to do my personal rankings of all 14 of the original Jordan models. I have love for most of them, not all of them. But this is what, this, this is what we have. Uh, in the first region of this is, uh, shoes that I just, I don't want. Like, like, the colorway has to be very special and cool for me to want this shoe. And that worst one being the Jordan 9. I don't, I don't like the way that the upper sort of connects to the midsole from the back. It's weird to me. Uh, this is really controversial, but I just don't. Number, my second worst Jordan is the Jordan 3 which is by many considered like one of the best sneaker models ever designed. And I just, I don't like it. I don't like the elephant print that's on most of the colorways and it, it doesn't do it for me. Uh, next in this, the last one of these kinds of shoes is the Jordan 12. Kind of hit or miss for me. It's it's not necessarily the design of the shoe. I just feel like I there aren't many colorways that are conducive to making it look good. On to shoes that I would a- I actually enjoy. Uh, these are the middle of the pack ones, Jordan 2. Jordan 2 is the most slept on Jordan of all time because it's the one that had to pr- to follow the original and that's hurt it a lot. It doesn't get a lot of retro play and that makes me sad because I would like a pair. But it's cool. It's a cool sneaker and I like it. Uh, following that would be the Jordan 10. I like Jordan 10. It's a bit weirdly clunky. has a lot of high Air Force 1 vibes. Nice shoe. Nothing special, but I enjoy the Jordan 10. After that's the Jordan 14. Jordan 14 is a little funky. I enjoy it. Uh, I like the tongue. It's it's sort of one of the first steps into what modern basketball shoes started to look like, or at least like what they did in the 2000s before we started getting into all that like lightweight mesh and stuff. Uh, and the 14, and I like the Jordan logo in this little pin on the side. It's cool. Then would be the Jordan Eight. It's wacky. Jordan Eight and Jordan Seven are cool. They got like a lot of lines. It's hard to follow, and I enjoy it. Uh, after that would be the Thirteen, which is a bit of an exotic looking shoe it's got a lot of textures on it it's like a pre- it's naturally the precursor to the 14 but it's sort of it's it's the very beginning of that sleeker shoe i feel like you're a waiter right now and i asked you i asked you for the specials <laughs> i was gonna just let you go but i wanted to jump in at some point <laughs> that's fine break it up probably better that tonight's way. tonight's soup is a french onion with a little little cheese skimmed on the top crackers on the side they're imported from maine <laughs> Okay, what do you do? Are you doing all fourteen shoes? Is that what you're doing? Yeah, we got uh, six left. Oh, good. All right, we'll clip this off, and you can have a YouTube channel. Go ahead. Sorry, sorry to break it up. We'll call this the halftime report. Uh, we got the Jordan Five, a classic. Not not a whole lot to be said. Uh, I would love a pair of the uh, Fresh Prince colorways. If anyone out there is listening and could make that happen, the Jordan Seven. Fun fact is Tory Lane's favorite Jordan, the one that uh, Jordan's wearing when he's on the Dream Team. It's it's another wacky one like the 8 I said. It's got uh, some funky colorways, and it's the one that I wanted to shout out. Uh, there's that clip of Jordan in the doing that ad when he's in Paris walking down the street in that matching shirt and shorts. That's the Jordan 7 colorway. Sick and then out. he looks up at that. Yeah, that outfit, incredible. And then he looks up at the billboard of himself. Like, that's that's an all-time flex. That's great. That's great footage, too. It's just like a great camera shot, too. Yeah. There's like 12 of those in episode. After the 7 would be the Jordan 6. Uh, I like the Jordan 6. It's like the 5, but it's got more weird stuff going on. 
I like the hook in the back. I like the knob on the laces. I enjoy it. After the six into the top three, the big guns. Actually, the six is also part of the big guns. I love the Jordan six. Big four. The Mount Rushmore of Jordans, you could even call it. Sure. Uh, in third place is the one. It's classic. I mean, it's the sneaker. It started. It started everything that me and everyone else who loves sneakers loves. Like it, it's it's the basis of what we love and why we love it. Jordan wore it in '98, uh, even when his foot was bleeding. So must be a yeah. Great and shoot. that's another another question I would like to ask is so he said to Patrick Ewing that his foot was bleeding or that he was like was that not happening to him when he was playing in it as a when that was his actual sneaker like in the '80s because I don't understand how that wasn't happening unless. Yeah, we gotta get the research department on that because yeah. neither of us knew the answer to that one. Should also we should also hire a research department. Apply online at indeed.com slash so dot 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 U H. Second place, Jordan Four. Great shoe. One of my favorites. I just think it's 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 cool looking. I like the eye stays and the way that you get to lace them. I, I enjoy most of the colorways. I think it's it's an easy shoe to look good to make look good. I think it's very conducive to good colorways. But the winner, the greatest Jordan of them all, is the eleven. It's like not even close. Like three of the best colorways in Jordan history come from that shoe. It's just so sleek with the patent leather. I I have so many good things between that. I mean, there's the bread, the Concord, and the Space Jam. Like those three colorways, flight. Go off. I've always wanted to say that. So eleven. All right. We'll, uh, we'll put a question to the listeners. Ask them what their favorite thing is. I'll probably edit that whole segment out because it was really long. Well, you know, maybe chop it up. Leave, I'd say leave it in. I don't know. I'd say leave it in. What do you want to hit next? Uh, Monte Carlo well, one, more, one more thing on shoes because right at the yeah, beginning shoes. of the episode when Jordan walks in to the – there's that first episode five when Jordan's walking into the arena and he's holding the shoes. Uh, I love lacing sneakers. That's something I've learned in the past six months since moving to Connecticut. I'm really bad at I, it. I really enjoy lacing sneakers. I find it therapeutic. It's one of those things that soothes my, like, jitter jitterbug mind, where it's like getting to line up the laces evenly. Like, so I I enjoyed the th- watching Jordan lace up sneakers because I guess he probably had to do that every night because Jordans always come unlaced. I do think the more like locker room footage I see of players, like, before games getting their shoes ready, I think I think a lot of them do the whole lace job. Like me as someone who just generally does a terrible job taking care of their bodies and like you could speak to this with ankle stuff i think because you do lace your own shoes and when we hooped like in college i would notice like you would actually take care and how you lace your shoes like that's important to basketball right like the way you tie them completely so you have the proper support for for sure and that's part of why i always like you you really like low basketball sneakers and i don't because i've always wanted that ankle support see i like low basketball sneakers but then i also like i'm the guy who buys shoes and then takes them out of the box and just ties the top laces like how they are. I don't like, I've never known how to tighten. Like this is just a huge me problem, but I've never known how to like tighten it the most. T- so you get the best support, like tighten every lace, you know, other than the top. Yeah, I do. That's I, I, yeah, I've, I've just, I enjoy lacing sneakers. I, I, You're a human. You know how to lace your shoes. I, I know. I don't know how. I know how to do the bunny ears. I learned in kindergarten. <laughs> that's all I got. I, I didn't learn how to tie my shoes until I was in like third or fourth grade. I was, like, I very didn't, defined. I didn't uh, learn to ride a bike until fifth. Like, no training wheels, you mean? Right. Like, until I was Same. 10 years old. Oh, really? Okay. So you're a city kid, so I think it's different. But, mo- like, most people I knew were, like, five or six riding bikes around the neighborhood. Yeah, I don't think that was the case because, like, I had to bike on the sidewalk. Mine was my best friend growing up. I would go to his house, I don't know, four or five times a week, like, after school. And one day, 
I don't know what brought it on. One day his dad was just like, what? You don't know how to ride a bike? So then we just like went out on the street. 25 minutes later, I was cool. I have a cousin who's 33 years old and doesn't know how to ride a bike. Wow. Let's get him on the pod. Yeah. Yeah, Lauren, come on the pod. Shoe lacing. Got anything else on lacing shoes? No. Monte Carlo or Coach. I feel like that's what we have left here. Those are those are the favorite things. Uh, did you want to just, I mean, if we're talking about locker room stuff briefly, yeah. uh, how cool was it at the beginning when all the East All started talking about Kobe? Yo, that, like, that got me juiced up. Like, the opening of that. I was, I had chills. I, First I had of all, chills. there was so much teasing about, like, this is the Kobe episode. And then I was a little, like, disappointed when it was only four minutes, but. I was, I knew the whole time that was, that was promotion. I was like, yeah, he's, it's, I knew it wasn't the Kobe episode. I knew it was the episode Kobe is in. It's funny though, because when you hear at first, like all those all-stars talking about Kobe, like, "Mm, you got to watch out for that boy from LA. And then like, you look at the photo and you're like, you know what? These, like most of these all-stars weren't that good. (laughs) Like it wasn't that great a team. Maybe they were afraid of Kobe. It was like Penny. Some of them were good. It was like Penny, Grant Hill, Reggie Miller. But then Jordan. mixed in, there's Jordan, yeah. Mixed in, there's like Antoine Walker, some white guy from the Pacers who I couldn't place. Well, if, I mean, I feel like if you really reflect on it, and I feel like maybe the NBA might be different now, but like how many true bona fide studs are on an all-star team at one time? Yeah, no, you're right. The East was just a weaker conference, so they're still good players. But I thought it made more sense that like they were talking about Kobe the way they were. Yeah. But it was, it was cool to see them talking about it and, and Jordan talking about him so much. Yeah. Well, I guess one of the things that was really interesting to me was when Kobe's talking about how, like, Jordan said to him, if you ever need anything, give me a call. And it sounds like Kobe, he, it sounds like that was one of those things that Jordan said to be nice and thought he might get a call every so often. Kobe definitely took him up on it. Like a lot. Like a lot, a lot. Like, like the way that Kobe, I feel like, was talking about it, he was like, yeah, I blew that man's phone up. That's like a like a networking thing, even in hoops. Like you'd tell us like we were journalism students in college and people would tell us trying to network for jobs, like find people in the industry and like send them an email like every three months. And like there's certain – we know certain people who would be like, you know, you send an email. They'll send an email like every week or something. They're very, very uh, persistent with trying yeah. to get tips and, you know, lanes and networks in, in their field. But yeah, yeah I mean that's LinkedIn. Kobe. That's, that's Kobe's identity. Yeah. Always trying to get better. Why not call MJ if he gives you his phone number? And it was it's so bizarre to me that Larry Bird was also the coach of that Eastern All-Star team. Yeah, I mean that like that behind the scenes clip where it's magic comes in in a suit and he's like shit talking MJ. He like realizes he's on camera. He's like, Oh, I better clean it up and be magic. But, like some of the behind the scenes magic stuff was hilarious to me too in this one. That him, Bird it's him, Bird's the coach, and MJ, like walking out of the locker room. It was like a great forty five seconds. Oh, I I loved it. And that's one of those, like I was saying earlier about the shot of MJ and his, that sick outfit looking up at the sign. Like, there's like 12 or 15 shots every episode where I'm like, Jesus. Like, thank God this footage is out there. Like, whatever you think about this documentary and whether it's like a journalistic piece of art or a hagiography or whatever you think of it, like, there's beautiful shots in here. There's really good journalism from time to time. And it, there's good stuff. And I've enjoyed it. It's been entertaining. Did you want to make that the transition to... Uh, Ken Burns, because I was going to try to transition with the talk of Bird and Magic into Monte Carlo. Your call. And I like that we're going to keep all these transitions in. Uh, yeah, why not? I mean, this is, you know, we're authentic like MJ, you know, we're just telling you who we are. We're, we're, we don't have it all together here, here on the So Well podcast. Go Monte Carlo, I know you want to. 
I mean, yeah, I, it's one of these things. The Monte Carlo game is one of these moments in sports history that you sort of only hear about because you don't. They're, it's the great, it's, as we all know, it's the greatest game ever seen. Until now. Yeah, it's one of these moments that sort of lives in my mind as incredibly special. And I, I just, I've always wanted to know more about it. And so I was very happy that we got that. Was anything surprising from it? I didn't realize that Christian Leitner was at, I'd always assumed, like, I'd in my head, I always, like, broke down, oh, what were the rosters like? Because I, I never knew. And I just always wrote off Christian Leitner. Like, I was like, there's no chance that he made the cut of 10 dudes playing in this game of the 12. And he did. Good for you, man. Yeah, it's funny, because if you watch the I Hate Leitner documentary that ESPN did not that long ago, like, they get to the point where he's on the dream team, and, like, the, guy, the guys gave him shit, and he had to carry everyone's luggage around, and he clearly, he was not on any of those guys' level, so... For him to even be included in that was, I don't know, good for him. He got dunked on, like, a few times in the footage we saw. For sure. Really wonder what, like, power forwards from the NBA he beat out. Not that I'm going to, like, brainstorm that right now. But, like, I, 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 would, I would love to know Chuck Daly's decision-making behind. Or even, like, if you're just Isaiah Thomas, you're like, what the fuck? And with this pretty boy from Duke on the team? And there were other reasons Isaiah Thomas wasn't on the team, but whatever. I guess maybe the pick was, it's like... Leitner wouldn't be mad that, about the fact that he wasn't going to play behind all these NBA players. I don't think he saw that much time until they were already upset. It could be. It could be like they had the roster and they're like, yeah. And Coach K was like an assistant, so they were like, oh, let's bring one more guy. Well, yeah, I think they. Well, I think he was the twelfth, so like they had like eleven, probably eleven they wanted, and then. But I would love to know where Stockton and Clyde Drexler were for this game. I don't. I mean, it literally could have just been like they were sitting out for that run. Yeah. And they were in group. Like when when you play practice, when you play. Five on five at practice, it's just you play for a few minutes with that crew and then whatever. Yeah. Particularly, I like the magic stuff behind the scenes. Because I think, like, the magic we see now is just so, like, bubbly and positive, And he's out here in the community owning six basketball teams. And I just and love seeing him. And, and his Twitter. Yeah, his Twitter. I just love seeing him, like, in the gym being like, wow, like, you're still giving MJ every call. Like, this is Chicago Stadium just in Monte Carlo. Like, he's bitching at the refs in a practice scrimmage. Like, I like seeing that. He chucks the ball into the crowd at one point. Yeah, I feel like in terms of, like, knowing real, the real side of people, I feel like we don't really know the real magic at all. I, and I like seeing that stuff and the competitive stuff. I love, love seeing that. So, team one is Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Larry Bird, Carl Malone, and Patrick Ewing. Matched up against Magic Johnson, Chris Mullen, Christian Leitner, Charles Barkley, and David Robinson. Yeah, I mean, Leitner's just the outlier. Leitner's the monstrous outlier, but apparently they, that team was leading by, like, 20 early on in that in that scrimmage, so. Right. And they were up 8, I think, right? And I think maybe they were up 20, but at some point they're up 8, and then MJ, like, just goes nuts. That's the part they showed us in the dot. I just, I've never, as someone who's, like, not, like, as particularly, like, not competitive, like, most of the time, like, I have no idea where you like, find what Michael Jordan has in him. Like, I don't know. I don't have any idea where that comes from. Like, that does that drive to just not be interfered with by anyone or anything and just dominate? Because you have to, like, it's a life or death thing. Yeah. I mean, at some point, like, they mentioned, and it's hard to know, like, how innate it is. Like, certain guys, like, it's one of those things, like, you, you have it or you don't kind of thing. Um, like they mentioned early in his career, even like when he was growing up, isn't there a lot of like 
his dad was like, oh, you're never going to be shit because you, like, you can't, like, fix things around the house and your brother's, like, better than you at sports and, like, that complex. So, like, that's... That's that seems like it fueled him a lot, but I think oh, I think it's sure. just one of those. I think it's one of those like innate things, like you have it or you don't. And he had, he he had the competitive stuff on a level that other people don't. At least from from these examples we see, and and like from the quarters too. Like this gets away from Monte Carlo for a little bit, but like there's great there's great footage of him playing quarters with security cards, him playing cards on the bus, going to the the smaller games with like Will Purdue and Paxson. I don't even know if they were on the same team. I'm just saying the white guys bet less money, which is me being funny. Well, they, they were they were on the same team, but they were playing blackjack for like $10 a hand. Okay, so it was Purdue and Paxton, but it was at least Purdue. And Jordan's playing over for way more money, and then he goes over to their, their table just so he can beat them. He just wants to beat them. They're like, yeah. what are you doing playing over here for our cheap money? It's different. For me to like turn on that competitive drive, someone's got to piss me off. Someone, I have to be like, I have to be provoked to like want to beat you in that way. I'm very, I'm very anti-competitive. <laughs> No, I know, but, like, I, and so am I. Like, I don't have that unless, like, unless I'm, like, playing someone in basketball that, like, I don't like or, like, it's just something, like, something that makes right. me a little angrier. You than, need something to flip your switch, whereas Jordan, it's just, on, it's just on all the time, it feels like. Jordan, the switch was ripped out of the wall. There you go. Yeah, no, he, he's, like, it, it, it's borderline, like, a malfunction. And I mean, that's the thing. Like, they say, like, these people that are Albert Einstein and Bill Gates and... Michael Jordan, I mean, like, Gladwell has the 10,000 hours theory, and I think it's just, like, these people that are, like, super, super at the top of what they're doing, there's something a little off about them, you know? Like, that, that's just how it is. I've always believed that to achieve, like, those level, those heights in anything, to be, be like, that smart, that driven, that talented in anything, you have to suppress other parts of, like, what the human brain normally does. Not that I have any sort of neuroscience degree or anything, but you know what I'm getting at. Like the it's idea a that, reasonable like, theory, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like you can't just like be the perfect person who has like that competitive drive and then also just be like a well-functioning person the rest of the time. Like something ha- – some part of your like mental makeup has to be neglected for that other part to flourish so greatly. And like that – some of that stuff comes out in I think the Jordan Rules book where it's like a lot of Jordan's teammates – like they had this great respect for him, but like the people weren't hanging out with him off the court. Like people, he's not like not like a great fun guy to be around necessarily. I know it's hard. To, it's hard to be both. Well, it's not like not like LeBoyne. LeBoyne Wade. LeBron, Dwayne Wade, Carmelo, and like Chris Paul going on vacation together. It's not that they were not doing that. Right. Instead, he was playing golf for ten thousand dollars a hole or something, and quarters with jan like with not janitors. Why do I keep calling them janitors? Security guards. Because the one guy with the hair strikes me as more of a security guard or a janitor than a security guard. We got to give that guy like twelve seconds of love on this podcast. I mean, I, from the Jerry curl to the shrug to the second shrug. If you're listening to this and you haven't haven't watched the documentary, just Google. Well, they had to see the memes at this point. Yeah, just Google Jordan Doc security guard. It'll come up. He's got a mean. Uh, what do they call that? A perm. Jerry curl. He's got a beautiful jerry curl, nice thick wide glasses, and just a smile that could melt your heart. Melts your heart. Just like, uh, you know who melts your heart? Tony Kukoc. Wow. We're killing the transition game I feel today. like I feel like he's the last thing we have to touch on. Yeah. Before we're at an hour on the MJ doc. But like there was a, there was a lot of good stuff that was like, like, like a couple different things, but... I don't know. I feel like you can go really deep on a couple of these things. But you were you were yeah. anxiously awaiting a Tony Kukoc episode. I've been waiting. Well, I just wanted – I've just been waiting for like him to be interviewed 
Yeah, I just wanted him to be interviewed. I wanted him to recognize that he was there. And I got a full segment. I got all the coup coach I wanted. A, I didn't realize that he was like this highly sought after international prospect, especially because this was like at the very beginning of the era when like the very, very beginning of the era when NBA front offices even recognized that international players had the ability to compete with American talent, which is so ridiculous, obviously. But it's how it was back then. Going off of that, I just, I loved, shouts to these direct, these producers for getting all this random professional basketball footage from countries like Croatia and Puerto Rico. Not that Puerto Rico's a country, but. Yeah. Like, the fact that they, like, the Phil Jackson Puerto Rico footage and all this coach Croatia footage was fantastic. And he was good. I mean, yeah, it gave context to it. Like, he discusses there was a civil war going on in Croatia. He wanted to be with his family. He's like... They show clips of how great he's doing in Europe. He's talking about how he's making more money there than he would on a rookie contract in Chicago. And they have that side-by-side with, like, what is it, the the Bulls? Um, taking, or then they're taking them on in the Olympics in 92. And, like, there's discussions of Jerry Krause, like, going over there and trying to get Tony Kukoc. And he's, like, not, not paying Scottie Pippen in the process because he's spending all this time overseas. But then it ends up being a great investment. So the, all the Kukoc stuff, and then the animosity between MJ and Pippen, and then. Well, I had no, I had no idea that they hated him that much, and because I, I didn't know that he that Jerry Krause had his had drafted him so many years ago and been trying to court him to come to Chicago for half a decade. Like I wasn't aware of that, so I didn't. I, 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 the hate's very justified. Like I understand, like why you would despise Kukoc under that regard, and you're trying to win an Olympic gold medal on one of the most violent scorched earth tours of basketball that's ever happened. And another little interesting thing is that is that they played Croatia twice. Like, I would not have remembered that. Like, they played him the first time. You also weren't out. alive, but... Well, I know, but, like, when you think of historic things like that, like, oh, wow, they played him twice. Like, that was a cool thing to learn. That Kukoc I couldn't had have told you a out. single team they played. Like, I don't know that. I just know that they played, like, a couple, like, countries where it's, like, they won by, like, 80 in the first half. Well, I like that Kukoc got a second shot, and he played well in the finals. So I think there was a couple quotes that were like, yeah, he was actually good. He balled out that game. Yeah, he did. So the Bulls gained a little respect for him, I think. Well, because in the first game, I think he was like really overwhelmed. Like, I mean, it's. Ter- I mean, I guess you have to be nervous playing against all those guys, and he probably and he had no idea that like he had the largest red X on his back for not doing anything. Right. He mentions that like he just like he had a guy blanketing him the whole game, and he like was caught off guard. Yeah. Well, he yeah because he didn't expect to be treated that terribly, but. That is how much these guys hated Jerry Krause. And I don't know what he did that early on. Like, clearly, like, they talk about it in the beginning. Like, uh, Reinsdorf, the owner of the Bulls, is talking about how he, like, Jerry Krause was very good at rubbing people the wrong way, even though he was apparently a generally nice person. But I don't, but they never really identify what he did in the earlier parts of his tenure as GM that made Jordan and Pippen dislike him so much. Like, I get it in the later and later years when he's trying to dissolve the dynasty. But, like, around 90 – because when they win the championship in 92, Jordan uh, smoking a cigar, and he offered – he says, Jerry, you smoking? You can't smoke it. It'll stunt your growth. I think I think the majority of it was just, like, like a power struggle where Krause is trying to tinker with everything. Like, I think MJ, like, at the beginning, like, loved playing for Doug Collins. 
And then Crouch is like, I'm going to bring in this Phil Jackson guy from the Albany Patroons, and I'm going to give you a new offense to play and take the ball out of Jordan's hands. Like, I think some of that was probably just a little tension, and maybe Jordan got over that once they started winning a lot. He clearly embraces Phil Jackson to an amazing degree to the point where he won't play for anyone else. But I think it's just like tug and pull, and then he's overseas recruiting Tony Kukoc when Pippen needs this money. But then really, like, I think it just comes down to Jordan's kind of a dick. (laughs) And, like, he's just mean to him, over the top. And in 98, if you think about it, like, Kukoc, yeah, maybe they win win the finals without Kukoc. But he goes, he starts 17 of 21 games in the 98 playoffs, 13 points per game in 30 minutes per game. That's, like, that's not a small contribution. No. That's, like, incredible scouting. Like, if that happened today, if you find that guy in Croatia, especially in that period when you were saying, like, the NBA was kind of, like, not into these international players. That's remarkable on Jerry Krause's part. Like, truly remarkable. That has to be acknowledged. I guess also the other thing is, and they've talked about this a lot, and they they show it again in one of the episodes from over the from last weekend. Is that I guess it was it, like they have another clip of uh, Jerry Krause talking about the greatness of the organization and how organizations win championships. And I think it was and, the night they won the finals, <laughs> maybe in '93. He was like, "This is a great organization." Yeah, and there is not a cell in Michael Jordan's body that is going to accept any sort of uh, a, like authority from this little fat man even though he's technically his boss like jordan's jordan has no disposition to respect him and then if he's gonna act like an asshole or kraus that is and i'm not saying he was necessarily but if he's going to act like an asshole in jordan's mind truly amazing that they stayed in that same organization together for nearly 20 years yeah and today like the modern nba that would have just never happened like the, the player would just get the gm fired if they were that important of a player yeah, if it was a Michael Jordan caliber, they would. If it, Maybe coaches. I feel like coaches more often just get fired by the Super Yeah, it's coaches. I feel like GMs can withstand that. I feel like GMs can be like, well, you're traded now. Depends on the ownership. It's all it's all For bad. sure. Contextual. Anything else on episodes five and six? I like that they played Outcast in Atlanta when they cut to Atlanta for that one game. They crushed the soundtrack again. Yeah, it's, it's out of control. I think they had Can I Kick It. I think Can I Kick It was the first song. Oh, yeah. They, well, they've song. been promoing that in the whole in like the whole trailer for the doc. Like, I knew that song was coming, and I was. That's another thing. Like, I just finished last week the uh, documentary series "Hip Hop uh, Evolution" on Netflix, where four seasons recounting the history of hip hop. And the episode on Tribe Called Quest was very cool because I like Tribe Called Quest a lot. So hearing that song again was nice. And also, they played Rosa Parks when they got to Atlanta, and I love that song. And that was that was cool. I enjoyed that a lot. But I guess if we're gonna finish it up. I guess the only two other things I like to touch on are one, that when they won the championship in 93, they cut to that clip of Dennis Rodman saying, uh, no, I'm going to Hooters. I want some tits and ass. Yeah. It's just a legendary moment. Just absolutely legendary. Funny Rodman. He's interesting. That's I'll continue Oh, wait, that couldn't that. have been 93. He was not on the team in 93. That was probably 97. Or that was some... I don't even... I don't remember at all the actual context of it. Me neither. They were... I, they were... In the, it might have been Utah, honestly. Off the bus in Utah? In, like, June? that when the finals would be? Could you go to a pool in Salt Lake City? And you, and I don't know. It was a, it was a funny line. We're not, uh, yeah. we're not the NBA historians we claim to be. Yeah. Also, we are recording this at a later date than we would have originally liked to, so our memories aren't as fresh as they are. Do you have, do you have 30 seconds before we wrap on MJ? Do you have 30 seconds on the Ken Burns criticism? We sort of touched it earlier, but not really. Yeah, well, the thing with Ken Burns is, I mean, Ken Burns is the documentarian. There's no way around it. He's the like he's one of the greatest documentarians to ever do it. Some could argue he's 
He's probably the greatest sports documentary to ever do it just because of his series on baseball. Because if you've ever watched his documentaries on baseball, it's fantastic. But he And he is like a true beacon of journalism and like telling the story as it's supposed to be told. So I understand the criticism that The Last Dance is not that because it isn't. It isn't. We would have gotten the full breakdown of Gambling Jordan if it was. We would have gotten the full breakdown of like what of – we would have gotten a much more concrete answer to the question, does Michael Jordan have a gambling problem? They w- it would be looked at much differently if Ken Burns were the one making it. But I don't know – like I feel like Michael Jordan is the kind of person with enough shit in his closet where like that's not the documentary that I want. And it's definitely not the documentary that I need right now. Like I'm, I'm very much enjoying – reliving not reliving uh getting to enjoy all of this yeah living this footage of the one of the most dominant athletes of all time and learning all the stuff i didn't know because it's not like they're making stuff up they're just right i mean jordan's spokesperson is an executive producer on it so it's going to be and like this is quoted a bunch of times like nba entertainment and michael jordan and his people work together so they weren't going to put stuff on this that he didn't want which is fine i i think there's great there is really good journalism mixed in there. For sure. Like, I, I, a couple episodes ago when... I was going to say, you can't spend that much time interviewing Michael Jordan and not get some good journalism out of it. That's literally impossible. Yeah, right. It's journalism. You're reported. There's new stuff in there. And that's... Like, literally the whole vault from that season was in a was in a vault that no one had seen publicly until now. So, it's all new stuff. It's great. We're enjoying it. It's kind of a... Ken Burns would... Ken Burns is going to Ken Burns, you know. We like him too. And then I just – you posed this question and I would love to actually discuss it. Uh, do you, would you like to be like Mike in terms of that one image we get of him laying on that hotel room couch with a cigar and a glass of orange juice that was probably actually a screwdriver? Yeah, it's it's kind of a big question. I, I feel like I am kind of just guy who sits in his room minus the orange juice and the cigar anyway. But no, my, my conclusion is I would not – I would not want to every time I step out the door be mobbed by – millions of people not be able to go out to a bar not be able to go eat dinner i would not want that yeah i didn't think about those parts those are literally the parts that i had never considered when thinking about this question oh that's that's all i considered when i thought about this question oh because i mean that's the, the part he's sitting in his room on a hotel bed with a cigar and orange juice he's like i can't go anywhere this is my life and it's like, well, it's like what was cool was. What was your thought? Go go with it wherever you want. Well, I was going to say, I can, I, I accept the trade-off for being Michael Jordan, like, for the rest of it. Fair enough. And even going off of that, like, I'm not sure, like, how true that actually, that actually is. Like, I get he's Michael Jordan. But, like, and obviously you would never go to, like, a bar, like, the way that, like, we go to bars now. Like, that's not something that you could ever do at that level of celebrity. But I feel like... There are, like, celebrities of that status now that can go out, right? I guess. Yeah, I guess you can. I don't know. You get roped off. You bring your people with you. You get in back doors. Yeah, I guess you're right. Jordan could play golf. Like, no one's going to – hundreds of people aren't going to rush public – well, he's not, I'm sure he's not playing public golf courses. No, no, he's <laughs> – You know what? He has his own golf courses. Does he? Uh, no, I'm just kidding. But I'm, I'm sure, like, he could have paid to, like, have a course roped off for him for the day. The point is you're right. He could, I'm sure he could find places, but I'm going to say no. I'm going to say I would not want to be like Mike. Honestly, and going off of that, it's really amazing that they were able to purport this idea of wanting to be like Mike and that Jordan was this one type of person when he was com- the exact opposite of what they were portraying him as. Like, that's really incredible to me. And it worked, and it gave a generation of kids an idol. All right. 
Uh, well, we're going to move on to listen to your heart. But first, a quick word from richieswoodenspoons.com. Hi, this is Richie with the Richie's Wooden Spoons. You ever getting tired of using that old plastic spoon in your pasta? You know, maybe you've heard people tell you it's bad for you, the plastic gets in the water or some. Uh, you know, you got to use a wooden spoon like your mom used to do. Go to richieswoodenspoons.com. We got the finest wood. We got cherry oak, maple, you know, a little, little pine. Some bamboo just came in. I'll be whipping that up into some spoons. I love using spoons. I use spoons all the time, cooking and not cooking. So go to richieswoodenspoons.com and get your spoon, $29.99, on the market right now, folks. Uh, Connor, as always, it's time. Get those ears ready. Put them on that chest and listen to your heart. I have a heart murmur. Did you know that? You do? Yeah, it's actually pretty common. Actually, I don't know I don't know if I currently have it. Maybe it goes away. But I, I had a couple times when I was a kid, gone to doctors, and they said I had a heart murmur. Wow. Pretty fun, right? You you lead the league in like mildly inconvenient medical issues. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I do. You know who leads the league in uh, bad breakup exits that we saw coming from six thousand miles away? I was gonna be Brandon. Oh, I was gonna say Sheridan. What a show! Oh, who, oh well, well he's not bad. At, well, he 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 wasn't bad at being broken up with. I don't. Know, I shouldn't have said bad breakups that we saw coming from thousands of miles away. That was Sheridan. The Love Square was yeah. broken up, Horn. R.I.P. to the whole goddamn Love Square. We lost all four of them. Hardly knew him. I, I wouldn't say that. I'd say we did. We hardly knew Savannah. Yeah. Who were you saddest to see leave? Sheridan, no question. That dude deserved so much better than everything he got. He was so sweet and open to Julia and literally gave her so many chances, and she just stabbed him in the heart. And she was always going to. Yeah, I I, I know. That's what made it. That's what made it too bad. I think my bullet point was just slow. I wrote slow, painful death of Sheridan. It was about the second yeah. bullet point I wrote, so it must have been like four minutes in when she got the date with Brandon Julia. Yeah, I. I mean, can we just talk about that conversation that uh, Julia and Sheridan had, where she breaks up with him for Brandon? I'd love to. Because first, first of all, never open with "I'm sorry." I mean, the, like, the second she walked into that room, you knew what was going to happen. I Yeah, we did. But, yeah, she, she should have let him down easier. That's what you're saying? Well, not even let him down easier. Just, like, like I mean, obviously you didn't have a ton of time to think about what you were going to say. You had the time from the ride back from that recording studio or wherever the hell you performed that song you wrote. Somewhere in that soliloquy, though, she has to get to, she has to get to, it's not you, man, it's Brandon. You know? So, like, the alternative to her saying sorry is, like, she comes in and she's like, Hey, and you like say it in like that sad way where you know where it's going. I don't know what would your what would your move be? I just want to say how much I appreciated getting to know you. No, I, I was gonna say something. Just be more like just straight up in earnest. Like I I left myself open to seeing if something would happen with Brandon on this date, and it did. I'm really sorry sorry that it has to be this way and that I'm hurting you because I, I don't want to. But I would like to move forward in this competition with Brandon. I thought that was a well thought out measured way to go about it, but I don't know. My relationship experience is minimal. That's, you know, you did your best there. I, that was that was sweet from the heart. It's making my heart murmur a little bit. Yikes. The other thing was Julia was like so, I feel like she was offended that she hurt Sheridan, that Sheridan's feelings were hurt. And that also pissed me off. Yeah, like I don't, I don't know what she thought was going on there. Like I don't know what, how she thought he was going to react. 
I feel like one of the trademarks of almost anyone or just a large portion of people who go on bachelor related shows is that you have, you have a very hard time anticipating the obvious. Yeah. She really felt like that was going to be a long conversation. She was like really insulted when he just got up and left. Yeah. Well, I think it's cause she, I think part of it is, and I, I think she's one of those people who likes to be chased a little, likes to play the game, like, like wanted to see, but like, I mean, it, it, by episode four, Sharon's just fucking fed up. Right. So yeah, I mean, she was like, like, of course he's going to be fucking distraught and you laid it on him so fucking poorly. Yeah. I, I liked how, um, I like how Savannah handled it, honestly. I agree. Cause Brandon and Julia go, basically Brandon and Julia go on this date and then like, they come back and they decide they're going to break up with the other people. But then Brandon like doesn't really. He like do, he like thinks he's not really breaking up with Savannah. It's really weird. He's got no, he's he's all over the place. This is one of those bad things of anticipating the obvious. It's like actually no it isn't at all. He's just incapable of making a decision and they refuse and he like just wouldn't do it. So like he walks up to Savannah and just literally is like still trying to play the field. Somehow ignoring the fact that literally someone has to go home this instant. Right. And if not that instant, then like seven minutes later. Like he doesn't understand the fact that they're all literally in the same house. And whatever is said is going to go and someone else is going to tell. Like Julia and Savannah aren't going to not like talk. (laughs) And if Julia is actually dumping Sheridan. Savannah will know. (laughs) Man man goes home. Woman must go home as well. Right. Just just some not, not very well. And then Brandon, like, we can get into, like, conniving Natasha a little bit, but there's a scene where Natasha and, and this is after Savannah and Sheridan go home, there's a scene where Natasha and Ryan are sitting at, like, the breakfast table, and Brandon's there, and then Julia sits down, and then Savannah's like, or not Savannah, Natasha's like, oh, Julia, you're going to need earmuffs for this. And then she straight up asks Brandon, she's like, if Savannah said she wanted to continue this with you, what would you have said? And he, like, mouths yes. Well, Julia's right next to him, the, like the woman he chose to continue this with, and she obviously know, like knows what he said. Natasha's a pro's pro. I'm actually like I'm starting like even though Natasha's has her slime her slimy tendencies for certain, she's a pro's pro, and I'm impressed by her. She's clearly maybe her and Ryan have something. I have no idea. I don't. I have an idea. They do not have anything. I feel like. I, I think they're both pros and they're just selling it. They're selling it very well. At the end of the day, I think that's what's happening. They're, they're both selling it very well because they're both they're, they're seasoned musicians. They know how to look on stage. I actually wrote down like when I watched their music performance, like my sub, my sub note says, "Feel like they're good actors." Yeah, but they're like playing. For sure. They're like playing impressive roles in this show. Yeah, and I think they're going to come in second to Chris and Bree, and then have more success musically because they're more talented. Yeah, you might be right. But what, like, what's that quote Ryan has where it's like the quote of the episode? It's after that conversation with the four of those people at the table where Ryan's like, I'm a mirror or something. Do you remember the oh, exact quote? Oh, Ryan. Yeah, I did have it written down. Ryan just says to Natasha, I'm just a mirror to your thoughts. And like, that's how I viewed them. Like, I like, I think when they first met, they like. They're the same was, person with the same objectives doing it together, faking the romance. They understand that they're the best to get each other far in the show. But yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think he likes her at all, really. Because, like, when they first meet, it's like... I think they're becoming kind of good friends. I mean, I, you can't dance like that and not feel anything. I mean, when they get to their performance, it's like... There's some moves. I think Ryan's moves are kind of weird, but as someone who's an awful dancer, I, I can't judge. But they, I don't think they have any... 
I don't know. I don't. I don't buy the connection, but maybe it's developing. I don't. I, I don't either. But they're very talented, and they entertain me, and I enjoy what they bring. And especially as long as like Natasha is there to win, and you can tell she's the MJ of the show. She tells us who she is. Yeah, she's a good with Ryan for the reasons we explained. B, she's incredibly talented. C, like she just shows up and drops that little Trevor bomb, which is evaporated kind of nicely. And now she- strategically, like she's played brilliant this week. She just got rid of four people with, like, a sentence and, like, a good performance. Yeah, a couple questions and some earmuffs. And then, yeah, and then her big her big moment is when, like, 15 minutes, like, once they're already at the, like, performance at play, like, auditorium, for lack of a better word, she just drops the news to Julia of what Brandon said when she had the earmuffs on that he would have chosen Savannah if Savannah wasn't that mad and just left. Julia was rattled. Julia was capital R rattled. Yeah, they weren't in sync, and then everyone, yeah, everyone knew they weren't, and then you know they get the axe. Played it like a fiddle. Played like I wrote down at some point that most of these conversations Brandon has with these women, I wrote down what's the opposite of a tour de force. I think (laughs) Natasha, (laughs) Natasha maybe had a tour de force this episode for sure. Well, Brandon, you you wrote this in the notes that he is basically batting zero in heart to hearts, which is true. He's terrible at it, but sometimes it works. It's so weird. But. When he, when he, the opening like line, I think the first piece of dialogue spoken in the episode is a conversation between Brandon and Savannah who almost go home last week. And Brandon just says to her, I woke up with so much gratitude. And I was just like, you are so fake. You have, you are just here. I hate saying the he is there for the wrongest reasons. I think he called her arrogant and sweetie like in the same couple sentences. It was, it was a rough go of it. And then he was, like, surprised that she went home as if it was, like, her giving up on it when he's like, yeah, I really have these feelings for her, too. It's bizarre. Yeah. Uh, I, later in the, my notes wrote, if you might have heard of a high school football recruit who was recently blown because of his name, which was the coldest to ever do it, Crawford. Uh, Shout out. I refer to Brandon now as the fakest to ever do it because, well, he might be. Yeah, I, I, don't, I never understood what the appeal was there. His country voice is kind of cool, but. He's very handsome. I don't think I don't think he's that handsome. Not my type. What is your type? That's another podcast. Do you have one more thing? Well, yeah, uh, Natasha's last uh, move. You called her a gamer earlier. I hate that word. Oh yeah, you do. That's right. That's another pot. I could go on for a while on that. But uh, when Rudy and Chris go on that date, which was hilarious, they even tried putting them together on a date. Natasha's trying to make moves on Matt. Yeah, I don't know if she was, though. Uh, that could have been tricky editing. She was making, like, TV moves. The way they edited it definitely made it look like it, though. You're right. Yeah, and, and I feel like Matt's sort of disinterest was, like, because it wasn't real. I like Matt. I like him more and more every week, I think. For sure. Well, he had a real rough first episode. Right. And then rebounded nicely, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, he's consistently good on the perform- the music performances. He doesn't rattle anything in the house. He just does his thing. Gets along with everyone. Yeah. After me thinking that he was really bad for the brand, and that brand being guys named Matt, because if you haven't noticed, uh, we're taking over. There are a lot of us. Right. The same baby book was circulating for a period of a few years. I've now deemed him good for the brand. I think, like, my take, I think they come in second. You think uh, Ryan and Tasha do? I think Rudy and Matt come in second. I rank them as tied for the best musical performance again, two weeks in a row. Well, I think... uh, Natasha's the most talented person on the show, and I think Rudy's a close second. 
Okay. And so what I think so what I think would edge them out is that Rudy and Matt are both talented and vibing romantically, whereas right. I think Ryan and Tasha are still a little weird, and their voices are kind of weird together too. I think. But I'm no I'm no music expert. The real music judges seem to like them. I think I think it'll be close. It'll be uh, it'll just come down to how well Ryan and Natasha can continue to sell their. And we agree, love. Chris. We agree, Chris and Bree won already. As long as they don't really oh, choke, hundred percent. You see the teaser for the the next episode? They go to Vegas. Uh, I may have, but as as you under as I've explained to you, uh, by Wait, the end of that episode, I was incredibly inebriated and on the verge of a blackout. So I don't. Okay, recall. well, if you didn't catch this. There's a Vegas thing, and then they allude to the fact that Chris and Bree are going to get married at like a, one of those white chapels, like out of The Hangover. Oh, like the oh, little the time. little white chapel. Did you you don't remember seeing this? Not at all. I think it's a terrible mistake. Of course, it's a terrible mistake. But I'm in. Yeah, I don't know. it's good. To, you think the producers were like, yeah, come on, you guys, let's let's do this fake marriage thing. It's, I mean, because they're great. They seem great, and they're lovely to listen to. Was. Brie in a wedding dress, or was it like? Did it look like a wedding ceremony? Uh, you know, I don't have the exact words. They they had her in the teaser, and she was like, "It seemed like they were going to get married." I can, I just refuse to believe that the producers would make them get married. Yeah, no, I guess they like that's aggressive. But it, no, the teaser made it seem like they were going to do it. But we agree they win, and everyone else is just fighting for second. Absolutely. You particularly liked Chris's scarf game. I think Chris's scarf game's immaculate. Where would you rank he's a, him? He's a well, he's a well-dressed man. Where would you rank him with Sergi Baca and OG Ananobi for scarf game? I mean, do you remember when the Raptors did that? Yes, people forget I covered the Raptors. I told OG Ananobi nice sneakers one time. It was really cool. Oh wow! You should ask him how he laced them. He was hurt. Oh okay. So you're gonna rank the scarf game or what? I'm just well, I, I I don't think it's fair because like OG Ananobi and. Uh, yeah, you're right. They have some money to spend. <laughs> they have NBA budgets, and Chris has str- struggling musician budget. I think the producers give them like decent outfits, but they give them a little For money. Sure. I think they give them like a thousand bucks or something. But your point is taken. But you like his scarves anyway. Yeah, and here's something. Do you, obviously Chris and Bree are good for the show because any successful romance uh, continues to purport that the show works. Sure. But do the producers – do you think the producers like an early frontrunner? See, they, they like this theory has come up a lot. Like they're asked about this on these Bachelor podcasts that I've listened to sometimes where like sometimes there's a lead on the show who just has their favorite from early on. Well, yeah. It's like you look at, like, look at Nick Vile season, The Bachelor. Like he knew Vanessa was the one from like the moment they met. And I think, like, Becca mentioned she really liked Garrett from, like, week two. And, like, a lot of times the people who get the first impression rows really end up going very far. I don't know. I I think the producers roll with it pretty well. I don't think they try try to influence, like, maybe what they can control. Like, if they can get, like, a date here or there mixed up or if they can, like, cause a little drama here or there. But, I like, they're not trying to mess with the the person's – who they like. They're not trying to get, like, mess that up. No, I'm not saying they would interfere in that way. But do they? But I just do you think they do they prefer? Do you think they prefer romance or controversy or or competition? Uh, I think I think the drama stuff's better. I think it, that that's where they get more social play and better TV. Yeah. But I feel like that rarely. I feel like, unfortunately for them, like that rarely leads to a successful romantic relationship for whoever comes out of it at the end. The funny thing is, though, like, whenever it doesn't work out, 
they all just end up dating each other. And it feels yeah, like it's... even the ones that suck, like when Ari was the bachelor and he's about to propose or he proposes to Becca and then he breaks up with her. And I'm blanking on what his wife's name is now. Uh, Lauren or I think it's Lauren. But they're like super happy and they have like three kids. And so a lot of times like the people that don't work out end up happy afterwards. So I don't even think they care so much because the show's at the point now where like once the season stop, it never stops. Like the show never stops. No, the show it's agreed. Like Peter and Kelly are dating now and that's like a great thing for for Bachelor Nation because they're like, oh, you know what? He came back to his senses after all. It's a great thing for Peter that he somehow ended up with the best person on his season despite not realizing it at any point except for all the wrong times, which was the beginning of the show and months after the show. Yeah. Well, you know, Peter embraced the show. He embraced the process. I think I, I think they're fine. I think it's like a zero-sum game at this point. Like, no matter what happens – and I don't even think that's what zero-sum game means. <laughs> but whatever happens... I've, n- I've never heard that term before, so yeah, I couldn't so, tell you. Some, some smart people listen and be like, what the hell is he talking about? I think I don't smart think... People, smart people do not listen to this podcast. No let's offense just, to the listeners. It's not that you're dumb, but you're not Malcolm Gladwell. Let's just say The Bachelor shows have a high floor. Like, a lot can go wrong, and they still do fine. Exactly. Like Peter Weber, I feel like Peter Weber's an incredible example of that. Is that he drove us up a wall for an entire season. We didn't look away. Yeah. And Colton was boring as shit, and there was just like... They teased like a fence jump the whole season, and then they were saved. <laughs> it's like nuts. Like they could, they'll figure it out no matter what the content is. They always figure it out. Anything else on this? Come I on. wish that uh, I wish that Savannah and Sheridan were allowed to like team up, and like I wish that it was less about love and just that, like Savannah and Sheridan could be like, you know what, fuck those guys. We're gonna outsing them and we're gonna win this shit. But the whole point is they don't like each other like that. That's honestly like a great idea. You should have like I know the season's over, but you should like write a blog about that or something. Email someone with power about that. Because honestly, that would have been great. I, I think they only had so many episodes. I think they had to like film this in such a short time. And like maybe that was a consideration. I, I don't know. But I think maybe – I feel like they only did the six-episode thing just – or however, six episodes because like maybe they just didn't know what they had. Well, I think – no. I think it was supposed to all be wrapped before The Bachelorette aired. True. I think it's that whole filming schedule because this yeah. was done filming like before the coronavirus, you know? Yeah. I think I heard Chris Harrison say that on a podcast. So they had like a set time frame. They had to get this in. But, uh, you know, all in all, I've, I'm fine with the show. I, I've really enjoyed the musical performances. And, the, you know, drama is kind of cool too. And Chris and Bree, you know, they're cute, whatever. What would you think of uh, Jamie and Ryan getting another date? Uh, You know what? At first I thought like – I thought Ryan might be more into it. But Jamie like clearly – Jamie clearly likes Trevor. Yeah, I think he took his L there. Not even because he likes Jamie so much. It's just I so clearly think he doesn't like Natasha like that. But maybe he's also just embraced the fact that there's only four couples here. I should just run with this and try and get my name out there. I think he spent enough time with Natasha where her mindset's rubbed off on him. Yeah, he's, I don't know, he's a weird guy. He said likewise again this episode for the record. Yeah, I know, I was excited for you. So I heard a tidbit from uh, one of my coworkers messaged me like we were talking about the show for for a hot sec and they were they heard that ryan was like either before or after the show i forget which was living like off the grid in nova scotia for like like fucking love that like a long extended period of time which is that's i know i love that extended to the same thing but yeah like doesn't that give you a little more about him like maybe he's just a weird guy which would be more reason to be like nah not natasha my dad is a huge fan of all those shows of people who actually live off the grid sure so I, I'm, I'm fascinated by that lifestyle, and also Ryan doesn't strike me as someone who would do that 
at all. Yeah, yeah, no, he didn't me either, but I didn't confirm this fact, but... These people, like, they don't have electricity. They are living in the 1800s, for the most part. They have some electricity. Depends on the situation. All the setups are different. Chris McCandless. Yeah, I've never seen uh, Into the Wild. What? You're going to go watch End of Tour and you've never seen Into the Wild? Did you read Into the Wild in, like, middle school? Oh, wait, oh, wait, no. I did see Into the... Mosier did show me Into the Wild. I caught some Z's. Great. Well, you should watch it sometime. It's not, like, amazing, but it's pretty good. There's, there's like, a good Vince Vaughn scene mixed in there. We love Vince Vaughn. Do it up. You, should, you gotta watch that movie. So what are some of the other highlights from this for you? Anything anything particularly weird stand out? Let me go to my notes one more time. I don't, I don't really think... Uh, I had Chance, Julia, and Brandon stay together. Zero, question mark. Two, question mark. But they got sent home anyway. Um... So much for Jamie pulling it together. <laughs> she kind of had a breakdown. Like, do you care about her and Trevor? I don't care about them, really. They're, like, they're the only ones we haven't really talked about much. Well, my, my newest thought on Jamie is that she probably signed up for the regular Bachelor and was like, yeah, I like to sing. Because I'm not sure she has actual career singing career aspirations. Because she talked about how like, she only performs in her bedroom. She has, like, horrible stage fright. Like, obviously she's a talented singer and she likes it. But it's never come off to me that she is, like, fully committed to this pr- to, as a profession the way that everybody else is. Well, I think she, like, lives in Nashville and is a waitress. Oh. Good start. So maybe it's, like, maybe it's, like, moving to Chicago for stand-up and, like, joining an improv class. Like, she, like, has a foot in there. But, I mean, going on the show is a pretty good step. Sure. I'll acknowledge she's going for it. She's 21, so she's got plenty of time to fail 12 more times. Absolutely. But yeah, I'm, I'm not that interested in her and Trevor. I just thought it was funny that Trevor said when Jamie and Ryan got that date that she was like, Trevor thought that Ryan's trying to sabotage him. That's that's a quote. He's trying to sabotage me, which is literally not possible. Right, I didn't I didn't catch that part. But it's that's literally not possible because A, that would imply that Ryan chose the date or asked Jamie on a date and B. And was pursuing something. Yeah. Honestly, the the mixing up the dates was just a trick to see, like, who's an idiot here? Like, who's going to try and jump ship at this point? And we found out who. We found out who. And And it went out, and it went just as well as expected. And, yeah, I think they just wanted to see, like, would anyone actually buy that, like, Chris and Rudy going on a date would mean anything? (laughs) Yeah, no chance. No chance. That whole date was, like, Rudy asking him about his feelings about Bree, and he was just, like, pouring his heart out. That was a great yeah. showing for Chris. Yeah. Good good practice for him. Absolutely. For his proposal, perhaps, next episode. Good lord. I guess the only other things I wanted to address were uh, how weird that songwriter guy was on Julia and Brandon's date. Yeah, he was on something. He was on something. He clearly didn't want to be there. Uh, he was wearing sunglasses in an incredibly dimly lit room. Maybe a hood, too? Uh, I don't remember. All right. But he, like, helps them write the song, and then he just dips, and then they come back, and, and he watches perform it in a cra- he watches them perform it in a crowd of one, which was another weird look. Yeah, it was uncomfortable all around. Yeah. And then I guess my last thing would be uh, just some quick judge talk. Judge is not as good this week. I mean, the Kesha-Jordan-Rogers-Jojo combination was fantastic. It's going to be hard to but beat. Do you have any thoughts on Andy Grammer, aside from the story you put in the Google Doc? Yeah, the story's fun. It's not that it's not that interesting. My brother Dan was a uh, like on Niagara University student government. He was running for president and like a lot of his 
Like when you're in student government, like your election to that, like rests on you doing cool shit. So like he was supposed to bring, there were all these bands they were supposed to bring to like some spring fling or like a fall concert or something. And they end up with Andy Grammer and the students were not too pleased. Like a lot of people didn't show up. Dan like said that Andy Grammer seemed like he was maybe kind of drunk. And this is like before he actually like made it pretty big. So I think Dan like looks back on it and he's like, yeah, like I got Andy Grammer before he was big. People didn't appreciate it. That was their fault. But that's the Andy Grammer story. But it's like another example of these music people that I have no idea what they look like in person. I did. Is he is he the guy who's like got to keep your head up? Hey, got to keep your yes. head up. Okay, that's it. So like that song, it is another song on that album called Fine By Me that I think are pretty good. And that was like a big song one summer for like – a bunch of people when I was at, in summer camp one year, so that was kind of cool, and I always cher- like cherished the memories of that song. But he has also he's also produced one of the worst songs I think that's ever come out, which is "Honey, I'm Good." You ever heard that one? The chorus nah, nah, makes me want to. Honey, I'm good. I could have another, but I probably should that one. <laughs> fucking hate that song. I want that song to go away, never come back. I haven't heard it in forever because I hate it. Uh, I hate it because I think it's bad. I think the chorus is annoying as hell. Can we add that to the most, uh, the pre-show mix? I hate it because I think it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> add that in there. But, but most importantly, of the reasons that I hate this, hate the song, is that it was on the, the, the soundtrack of the mo- the models that I worked at the summer after freshman oh year Oh my god, I can't tell you like how much, how many bad memories I have from the Dick Sporting Goods soundtrack. Well, exactly. like The songs you just can't get out of your head. For the most part, working retail isn't fun for those who haven't done it. Like, it's fine. Like, you could have – there are far shittier minimum wage jobs out there. But my summer at Models, like, you just – you hear these songs so often that when you hear them after the job or when you're not on the job, you're just immediately transported there. And because of that, whether the songs are good or not, you generally just have this negative association with them. You're thinking about that guy who wants that 50-inch basketball hoop that's not in stock and you already check the other stores to see if it's there, and he doesn't give a shit, and it's not there, and no matter how many times you show him it's not there, he doesn't care, and that's just, the song comes on, and that's where your brain goes. Yeah, so that song just takes me right back to Models, and which was just a weird summer, and then within like 30 seconds, I'm reminded of the time that my boss said to me that he was imagining me in Sophie shorts, and then I just get really uncomfortable, and now I'm just, and that's... So, so you saw Andy Grammer on the show, and you were like, yeah... Yeah. Fair enough. I, I just, <laughs> I hate that fucking song. However, there is one very good song that I did learn, uh, uncover from the Modell soundtrack, which is Budapest by George Ezra. I like that song. That's, that song's very good. That guy can sing. Yeah. And then I got lucky in my other retail job, which was at Banana Republic, that I was doing that during the holiday season. So I didn't have to get any songs ruined for me because I already fucking despise Christmas music. Jeez. Hot take there. Is that a, is that a hot take in the Jewish community? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't. It's not something I've discussed with many Jews. It's just something that I uh, bashfully will like say to, Chris, to Christians who flex Christmas music. I will go on the record saying I like Christmas music for what it's worth. I just wish that like you could. I just all I would really want is like Dreidel Dreidel just slid into one of these mixes, just like a little representation. Dreidel Dreidel is definitely not the song to do it with, but that's what I was. It's the Hanukkah song. Do it with the Hanukkah song, even that would be better. But there's this funny story of one time. I was raised Jewish, but my mom is Christian and my dad is Jewish. Opposite for me. Tweet tweet me if you're... No, that's the same for you. My mom is Christian and my dad is Jewish. <laughs> yep, you're exactly right. 
You know, you know me better than I know myself. There was a year. It was one of the first years, I guess, we weren't going to visit family for Christmas because we visited my mom's family. Uh, so my dad was like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to make like a roast this year. We're going to have just the three of us. Uh, he bought like a Christmas music album on iTunes back when you still did that and like was so excited to like play it for my mom on his like Bluetooth speaker. And then my, he starts playing. And my mom's like, you can play other music if you want. And it just – my dad's heart just sank. He's like, oh, I did this. I got – not like really. I understand. It was a bit of a deflating moment that was pretty funny. But uh, we've been talking for way too long already. So big I ups. Agree. Yeah, you you got one or am I just going to go and then you'll decide? Yeah, I don't want to take too long on this because I don't have anything great. I guess I'm just going to – I didn't have anything like great that I want to talk about. I, I have two things I'd like to address. One, my big ups is I guess will go to my publisher and my employers uh, at Central Connecticut Communications because uh, – the past two weeks, I was actually on furlough, which for those who don't know what that means, because I didn't until my company started furloughing people. Uh, it's the same idea as being laid off, only the prospect is that you will get your job back at some point. So I was on furlough for the past two weeks, and then on Monday, I got a call from my boss offering me my job back. So I'm very appreciative for that. Thank you. I'm currently only covering news, and that I'm not very good at, and I don't, don't think I'm doing very well at it, but I appreciate that you wanted me back. Obviously, and I cannot wait to continue reporting sports for the newspaper. But the thing that I really wanted to just take a moment to address is uh, Ahmad Arby. Don't forget his name. This is the uh, young man who was brutally gunned down in a Georgia park while jogging by two white men, literally for seemingly no reason other than that they were perturbed by his race. And I just, it's. It seems that they are going to a grand jury now, but the fact that it took like this very condemning video to come out that I'm so sickened that I had to watch uh, for like it to even get that far is so horrifying. And I just want everyone to remember the name Ahmad Arby because he shouldn't be forgotten, especially when you have to lose your life in such a fucked up way. Yeah, I actually saw a tweet from Bomani Jones, like, pretty much warning me not to watch the video. So I didn't, but a, a good a good shout-out by you. Hopefully the uh, Justice Department, the judges in that case, get it right. But we'll see. My, my big ups is on the lighter side, kind of the hornier side, for lack of a better word. There's a, there's a new, new show on Hulu called Normal People. It's based off uh, a book by Sally Rooney. This prolific author who's, I think she's like just turned 30, but she has all these books my mom and sister are reading and every woman I know is like tweeting about. But the, the show is like, like there's a lot of, there's a lot of sex in it. I'd say it's like 30% sex, but it's like this young couple. It's a coming of age story. It's got a little high school like romance to it. It's got class involved, like class structure, not like social studies, um, like typical high school anxieties, family dynamics. It's I, I don't, it's like hard to describe. Like I watch it and it's like they do such a good job having you relate with these characters. Not just because like they're twenty something and I'm twenty something, but like the way they shoot this and like produce it and the music and everything about it. Like I I feel like I'm feeling exactly what the characters are feeling when they're on screen. And I don't know if I can like put it any better than that. Like like that's just it. Like it's this common theme of like a shamed kind of secret relationship these two are in. The guy's kind of ashamed of the girl. She's this rich girl. I, like, I don't want to give too much away, but she's this rich girl, and she's, like, not popular at all at school. He's really popular at school. 
all of his friends make fun of her. They don't know he's sleeping with her. And then they end up going to college at the same time. And you just see, like, their relationship fluctuate over a long period of time. It's like all these breakups for no reason. And, yeah, anymore, and I'll probably give the show away. But I'm only seven episodes in. I think it's 12 episodes long. And I've really enjoyed it. So, yeah, I recommend go watching it. It's called Normal People on Hulu. That's great, Connor. I hope that you can try to make your big ups not about television as often going forward. I'll try not to. I gotta find more hobbies. You're, you're not wrong about that. You know what? I have a, there's my family has a couch coming tomorrow, which we've been waiting on for a month. So maybe my big ups will be to Raymore and Flanagan next. What Raymore and Flanagan? Uh, sponsor the show. Talk to our ads department. We'll have a uh, Matt DiLorenzo was recently promoted to director of ad sales. Uh, we'll have him reach out. He'll be on the show one of these days. Our ad, our ad department is part of the reason this thing you know keeps keeps flourishing. Episode three is yes. alive because of those ads. Oh yeah! Before we sign off, everyone who's listening. If you have not rated already, go rate the show, subscribe, then undo it, then do it again. All five stars. Your review can be whatever it is. I mean, if you think we're stupid, and let us know who has the cooler podcast voice because my younger sister says it's Hornick. She might be right. So I'd like to hear your feedback on that. Yeah. Uh, also, flex your adjective game if you can. Connor's sister called us the chicest podcast around, I believe, and I liked the word chic there. I appreciated that. <laughs> Is that like the ending or what? I don't even know. <laughs>